Yeah, it is so neat to see so many kids in such a healthy Sunday school, isn't it? But we have the 14th chapter of Romans um, to look at this morning, and it's an incredible chapter, and I think it's um, obviously in this practical section of, of this epistle, and it's, um, it's just incredibly helpful to us. So if you can turn in your Bibles to the uh, 14th chapter of Romans, and here we have the most extensive teaching in the New Testament on how to deal with differences of opinion uh, regarding matters that are, that are of a non-essential nature. And so that's why I say it's so practical and helpful for us. So I'll, I'll read the chapter and I'll start from verse 1, so 14 verse 1. And it says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person is faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats not, uh, oh, sorry, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. For he, or he who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise or confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith 
is sin. And so that's the 14th uh, chapter of Romans. And, and as we consider this 14th chapter, we're going to walk through four points this morning. And they're going to take us from um, first identifying that there are these types of issues. Uh, obviously, in Paul's day and in our day, we, ha- we do have to deal with these types of issues. Um, and then ultimately, as we get to the fourth point, uh, we wanna, we're going to be looking to find some key principles that can help us navigate and deal with uh, these situations rightly and biblically when they uh, obviously arise. So the, the first point I've titled Conscience Issues. And so since we started looking at um, Romans chapter 12, as we've come all the way through to Romans chapter 12, we, we started to consider how we live the Christian life. And there we saw that we, with the overarching thing was that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Um, and then we looked at the 13th chapter, uh, and we saw how we are to live uh, in relation to the governing authorities. And so we're getting these really key uh, aspects dealing with all the different ways we live the Christian life. And here in the 14th chapter, we have instruction regarding a, another critical aspect of Christian living, and that is how we are to de- uh, how we are to live in relation to each other, um, but especially it's how we are to live in relation to each other when we have differing opinions, and we often do, don't we? Um, so the church is, is made up when we think about it of many different people. Um, some of us grew up in the church, and some of us came from outside. Uh, and we're all at different levels of maturity um, in terms of understanding the Christian faith as well. So we have young and old, we've got new converts, um, people that have been in the faith for years. Um, but we're all saved out of different contexts, and we all come into the church with certain baggage and certain uh, patterns of thought and convictions. And as we come in, they aren't all magically stripped away, and we aren't unified into this one perfect mind immediately. Uh, we all bring all this baggage into the church. And so it was the same in Paul's day. Um, Some of the Jewish believers grew up under the strict stipulations of the Mosaic Covenant, and these traditions were hard for them to shake off. There were certain meats that were considered unclean and unpleasing to God, um, and they observed various Sabbaths and festival days that God had commanded them to do. And, And in their devotion to God, they took this very seriously and it became deeply ingrained in their conscience. They felt it was right. They, they knew this was from God, and it was, a, it was at a really deep level. It was just started to be built into their conscience. Um, but in contrast, others came into the church from an utterly pagan culture. Um, they might have mindlessly worshipped idols or come from a lifestyle of uh, excessive drinking and all sorts of uh, perversions and promiscuity, and they were very comfortable living in utter licentiousness and so they were used to almost everything being permissible to them. And as, as they all, all, from both these different groups, as they all turned from their former way of life and came to faith in Christ, they were all, which I'm trying to stress, they were all now trying to live in a way that was pleasing to God. And so that's, a, that's now a common factor among everybody there in the church. Yet in spite of that common conviction, Differences of opinion and differing practices still prevailed. And so I'm thankful for, for God's providence in, in ordaining this to be our passage this morning because there are so many sensitive areas of difference for us to navigate as a church. 
And so some of us, if we think of ourselves, some of us have differences of opinion regarding, and, and I said to someone just before the service, I was reading a book and it said, when we start dealing with these issues, it's if we, we, uh, it's where angels fear to tread because we're dealing with all the problems and we're going into all of them. And so I hope I don't offend anybody as I, I speak this morning um, because I'm sure a number of these have come up in different conversations. So I just want you to know I'm not trying to single anyone out. But the difference is when we think of these sorts of problems in our church, the use of vaccines becomes something we may have differences of opinion with. Um, music and the criteria for song selection or style or, or what um, sources we use music from. Uh, we have different opinions on how the church should respond to government-mandated lockdowns. We're thinking through tricky questions, and we might be in slightly different places in our thinking. And just like in Paul's day, we can even trip over each other in terms of what we eat too. Um, Some of us avoid eating things like bread or carbohydrates, and some of us think that those foods are very normal and part of a healthy diet. And so we can, can't we? There's so many ways that we can be offended with each other And we are touching all the most sensitive uh, aspects of of what we think of each other and and how we relate. Um, But I hope this strengthens us as a church. And we shouldn't shy away from talking about it. But my first point um, is is that I want you to see that the the church is and always has been confronted with these types of conscience issues. And so I'm thankful for this 14th chapter because it, it gives instruction and how to deal with these very real issues that have the potential, like the serious potential, to divide this church. Um, So we really need to understand this chapter. And it's also really important um, to think think and and to ground your thinking as we talk about these things in the category of non-essential matters. Because if we, if we disconnect it from that, we're, we're going to have some problems. But this chapter is addressing differences of opinion among Christians. And so if you looked in verse 7, you'd see that it describes the person with a different opinion as a brother. So we're looking at brothers, um, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it's not giving us instruction in terms of how to agree to disagree regarding essential matters of doctrine for the sake of an artificial unity. That's not what it's teaching. These are non-essential matters that are being discussed. And so we we need to see that before we get into it. But um, the existence as well, the existence of these kinds of issues don't indicate a weak church. Uh, Paul raises them because they are unavoidable, and we need to adjust our expectations and not be thrown off when we bump into someone who does something differently to what we think might be right. We're going to bump into this. It's a normal thing. And so the mindset that we need to have is that these types of issues are to be expected. It's so foolish to be surprised every time we bump into it. We know they're going to be there, Um, so we need to have that mindset. But in in Romans 14, two main issues are raised. So he brings up two examples um, that he'll use as, as typical of the types of things he has in mind. And so he brings forward two examples. Um, in verse 2, he says, One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. And I'm really tempted to make a joke, but I'm not going to. <laughs> And in verse 5, he says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. 
So imagine the first situation. You've got two people sitting down to enjoy a meal and some fellowship, and one thinks he is pleasing God by not eating meat. He believes in some way that it's offensive to God, and if he were to eat this particular meat, he feels that it would be sinful. Uh, And perhaps he was a Jewish convert trying to avoid eating a type of meat that was prohibited in the Old Testament, and he hadn't yet brought his conscience in line with the freedom that we have in Christ. Or perhaps uh, it could have been a Gentile convert where he knew the meat had been sacrificed to idols as part of a pagan culture that had just left, and he had left that behind. Now he was serving the true and living God, and he didn't want to eat uh, what would be sinful to him and, and think that he was acknowledging a, a false deity. Um, but we, um, and that, that example is actually from 1 Corinthians 8. There's that specific example. But in Romans 14, we're not told explicitly what it is. Um, but one thought he was pleasing God by abstaining from eating meat and ate only vegetables. Uh, and this person, we note, is also called the weaker brother. The person who ate only vegetables. And again, I want to make a joke, but I'm, I'm not going to. And the other person who must be the stronger brother, and that suggests to us that his conscience was more accurately informed according to the word of God. It says he has faith, or which means he believes and has strong convictions. He has faith that he may eat all things. And so he could have been aware of Jesus' teaching uh, in Mark chapter 7, verse 18. Uh, Jesus said, do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside, excuse me, cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart, um, but into his stomach and is eliminated. And then it says, thus he declared all foods clean. Or, Or maybe this person had been aware of Peter's vision in Acts chapter 10, verse 13. And you remember the vision, a voice came to him and said, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unholy or unclean. Again, a voice came to him a second time, and it said, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. And so, so that's the first problem, two people with different beliefs about what is pleasing to God, whether to eat this meat or not. And the second problem that this chapter raises is um, concerns... Um, the use of certain days. And so again, some Jewish converts would have found it hard to let go of their deeply held convictions. And we saw even with that illustration of Peter, uh, when he was given that vision from God, he had to be told three times that it was okay to do it. It wasn't enough to just say it once. So, so they, were, they were strongly, deeply rooted convictions um, that were really hard for him to change. Um, and so some would have been accustomed in the second situation to observing the Sabbath and all the various festival days set out in the Mosaic Covenant, while others, it says, regarded every day alike. There was no difference between a Saturday, a Sunday, a Friday. All days were, were the same to this other person. And their conscience was not in the least troubled in thinking and practicing that. So that's that's. Uh, My first point is that there are these conscience issues that uh, Paul encountered them in his day, and and we too have to deal with the same types of issues in our day. And and in light of this reality, my second point is to ask a question, and it's to ask, well, knowing that there's these issues, what do we do? How do we handle them? What should we do? Um, And so I'm, I'm looking through the 14th chapter and I've collated or put together all the, uh, what's called the imperative statements 
that Paul makes. So it's all the commands or the instructions. Like, what does he tell us to do in this chapter? And so in verse 1, he says, um, now accept the one who is weak in faith. And that, if you want to crystallize things down, that's one of the, the best ways to see that, that command. Accept the one who is weak in faith. So Paul makes at the start of the chapter, like we've seen so many times, a clarifying, overarching statement that he'll unfold through the rest. Um, so the command there is for us to accept those who are weaker. And Leon Morris, a commentator, he says, the verb means more than allowed to remain in membership. It has the notion of welcome, of taking oneself and so taking into friendship. The weak are not to be made to feel that they are barely tolerated and seen as second-class members. They are to be received with warmth and true fellowship. And, and the, the weak in faith here, it doesn't refer to saving faith. You need to be conscious of that as well. It's not to be understood as someone who trusts God or has faith in God a little bit. Um, it's referring to the whole body of Christian truth as, as some have a better understanding than others. And you think of Jude, that were the, the, the Christian faith that speaks of it as being the one that's once and for all delivered to the saints. There's this body of Christian truth. Um, and we're all at different stages in, in this sense, um, understanding the faith. And, and we're all in that sense as well. We're growing in the faith. Um, so we're growing and, and coming to a better knowledge of who we are and how we live the Christian life. Um, but Paul then adds, oh, sorry, ends this command to accept the weaker brother by adding another phrase. And he says, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. And that means the weaker brother's timid conscience is not to hinder their genuine welcome into Christian fellowship. So that's the, the first command we see in this, this chapter there's two more uh, commands made in verse 3. Uh, and Calvin says he meets the faults of both parties. Um, so that's the, the fault of the weaker and the um, stronger brother. So firstly, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt. That's the instruction. Don't regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And so the stronger brother is to avoid the tendency, and it's a very real tendency to look down with, the, with disdain and regard as little those with a weaker conscience. They look down, they laugh, they mock. Look how silly that is. Well, that's ridiculous. So that's the tendency that he warns against. And secondly, the one who does not eat, so the one who, who has, has a lower conscience, is not to judge the one who does eat. And the tendency of the weaker brother is a tendency uh, to making a certain rule, one that they think pleases God, and then to force that rule, to take that rule and force it on other people, to judge the righteousness of others by their, their self-made rule. And so one commentator said, not infrequently, the weak is the greater tyrant. And, and that is a very true mindset where we make a rule. We go, I think it's in First or Second Corinthians 4, it talks about not going beyond the word of God. Um, and it's such a tendency to make extra rules that are beyond Scripture, and then because you've set that in your mind, you, you then put it on everyone else and judge them by your, your made-up standards. And so to give you an example, um, someone might have a sincere desire regarding modesty, like clothing, how we look and dress, and the attitude of modesty. And that's a legitimate uh, biblical and moral matter to consider, 
Um, but they determine in their mind that a dress is pleasing to God if it finishes below the knee or perhaps, perhaps down to the ankle. And they, they, they fix in their mind a certain rule. Um, and then they take that rule as an instrument of their own making and judge others around them based on their own standard of conscience. If they see someone wearing a dress that's not where they've determined it's holy or unholy, which is a really hard place to find, they treat that person as sinful. And so this is the tendency of the weaker towards legalism. And, and they are instructed. So the instruction here to that type of thinking and that type of action is not to do this. It's not to judge others by their own abstract standards. And so no matter how perfectly they think their line of reasoning may be, and isn't that the way? And we, I, I think I feel myself doing that sometimes as well. You're like, oh, no but you haven't heard my argument, you see. And then we start to lay out our line of reasoning. That's why it is. And so no matter how much we think we can argue it or defend it with abstract thinking and whatever, we're not to make rules and judge other people by them that are unscriptural. And so Calvin gets to the heart of it when he says, whatever they perceived to be contrary to their own sentiments, they thought was evil. And that was such a beautiful way to... To state that truth. But as a side note, what I've found interesting as I've looked at this passage during the week is that there's a real Jewish Gentile tone to, the, to these original issues that Paul was dealing with. And it was the religious Jews that were typically weaker and tended towards legalism and judging. And the Gentiles, who were those irreligious, loose pagans, um, those late comers into God's family that were often considered the more mature. Isn't that a funny thought? And so we should be mindful that we might have lived our whole life in the church, but we might have picked up more religious baggage than we're actually aware of. So we need to be really careful. Um, and it's also an ironic truth that as we consider the stronger and weaker brothers, I remember one of the impact speakers coming one year and he goes, do you know what? We always think of ourselves as the stronger brother, don't we? And I just sat there going, oh, yes, I think we do. <laughs> but I, don't we? Like, as we're talking about it, we're probably thinking of examples of other people where they're being legalistic and they're being the weaker brother and we've got the best reasoning. And so we, we really need to hold open the possibility, um, and I need to do this as well. I actually um, have got an increasing habit of asking God's forgiveness before I preach. Um, but we all need to do this. We need to think that we could possibly be the weaker brother in this situation. And so to help, uh, to help with that, we need to cultivate a permanent posture of humility where we take the attitude of being a student of the Word of God or of the Christian faith. Uh, and, and even we could be humble enough to consider ourselves, it might sound shocking, but we consider ourselves to be disciples, which when we think about it is a very, very normal Christian thing to do. Um, so if we take that humble attitude where we could be the weaker brother, there could be more about the Christian faith to learn. Um, if we think we already know everything, we will never learn anything. Um, so I've kind of gone off course, but um, to get back to the next imperative or the next command we see in the structure, you can see the next one in uh, verse 13. So the next command, it says, let us not judge one another anymore. And, and I thought that was interesting because the anymore implies it was already happening and it needed to stop. 
And, uh, but rather, it goes on, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. And, and this is directed, this command is directed to the stronger brother that, that has more liberties, that knows they're free to do different things. Um, they have the option to eat the meat without their conscience accusing them of sin, and they have the option to abstain from eating the meat, and in the event their brother would feel that to eat it was uh, sinful, as in that example we saw, the stronger brother is to accommodate the weaker and to think of them ahead of themselves. And so they have this easy option in front of them that they can maintain unity without causing offense. They're not troubled either way. Their conscience allows them to do both, and they should accommodate to the, to the weaker brother. So that's that instruction. And the, the next one, there's another one in verse 19 to 20. Um, there's a positive affirmation and a, a negative aspect to it as well. And so in the positive, it says pursue, this is what we are to do, pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And so this is what we are to do. He's, God in Christ is asking us to do this. Um, we aim for peace and unity and the building up of one another. And so the negative aspect of this command you can see it in verse 20, it says, do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. And it's like, don't tear down the work of God for the sake of this silly little thing. Um, and this helps us get to understand the, the seriousness of what's being taught here. For when we judge the conscience, um, I've lost my place, sorry, but we... Um, it helps us to understand the seriousness of when we lightly regard this teaching. For when we judge the conscience of others by their compliance with our self-made or abstract rules, and when we look down with con contempt, so that's the strong person looking down with disdain on the weaker, and if that person was to steamroll the weaker consciences of others and push them before their own conscience is aligned with the word of God and, and force them to, to walk in our liberties... Um, what Paul says here is if we were to do that, we are tearing down the work of God, which I don't think any of us wants to hear uh, when we stand before God. Well done, you've teared down the work of God. But we, we've seen that, um, so we've seen that there's conscience issues in the church, and we've, we've looked at the second point. We've, been in, we've seen the commands, the instructions, um, how to act, like what are we to do in these situations, um, but Paul doesn't stop there. And so in this 14th chapter, he also shows us why we are to act this way. Um, so this is our third point. We, we've, we've seen just flat commands, but sometimes our children don't really appreciate when we just say, go to bed. Why? Because I said so. Like There, there is something satisfying about knowing why. And um, at the end of verse 3, we start to see some of these things. So... Um, so the first reason why we are not to judge, that's the weaker person judging, and look down with contempt, is the stronger person looking down. Um, it says this in verse 3, For God has accepted him. And so again, Leon Morris, the commentator, says, If a servant is acceptable to his master, it does not matter what his fellow servants think. And so secondly, it's a, it's a dangerous thought as well. When you start thinking, God has accepted this person. Um, but imagine when you start thinking that uh, my faith or the way I live out my Christian life, uh, that my righteousness is 
more pleasing to God than the way you live out your faith. Um, because if we do that, there's a very subtle fall. When, when, we, when we look to Christ and believe that we're saved by grace through faith alone, it's like we're walking on a knife's edge and we can fall off into, into legalism or antinomianism where we have no law so, so quickly. But if we start thinking about other people's actions like that, that, oh, look, the way you're doing it is not good enough. My way is so much more pleasing to God. We've, we've slipped from the gospel to the law. And so we've fought, forgotten to think in terms of what God has done for us, that we're only pleasing to God because of Christ's perfect righteousness that gets imputed to us. That's our standing before God. That's what makes us pleasing to God. Um, and we've started to th think in terms of what I do for God is, is what makes me or this other person pleasing to God. So we need to be really subtle, uh, really careful and and understand how our thinking tends to those things. And so these, uh, all these troubles among us often spring from our forgetting that we are justified by faith alone, apart from our own works. And a wrong understanding of each other is often rooted in a wrong understanding of the gospel. Um, so so this, this 14th chapter is written after chapter 3 in the book of Romans, and for a very good reason, because we get that first before we start living out the Christian life. So we need to keep Christ and, and what he's done for us central in our thinking and always be reminding ourselves that we only stand because of what Jesus has done for us. And we need to... Um, we, we, we stumble when, whenever we take our eyes off that truth, when we lift them away from Christ, that he has all of our righteousness, all of our being pleasing to God is not nothing to do with ourselves. But when we look down on a brother, or whether we try to put our own rules on another brother, uh, we need to know that, that God has already accepted them. They're, they're no more justified than you are. They're no more pleasing to God than you are. And I was talking through this with my wife last night, and, and I, I had this silly picture in my head of two worms crawling around in mud. And it's like one worm's looking at the other worm being like, man, you're dirty. And the other one's like, well, you're pretty dirty yourself too. And from God's point of view, like, like these little trifling matters have nothing compared to the holiness of God and the majesty of God and the righteousness that Christ provided to us. We are literally just... We're just trifling with the silliest things when we're picking at each other at that level and taking our eyes off the gospel and what Christ's done for us. But in, excuse me, in verse 4, we see another, another reason why uh, behind these commands. And so Paul says here, and he, um, I don't think he's addressing anyone in particular. He's, it's just a way of speaking where he imagines someone that he's accusing. And he says, who are you to judge the servant of another? And that's a good question to ask. Who are you? Well, what position are you? Who are you to judge the servant of another? And so he's saying, do you, being a fellow servant, and the word in the Bible is slave, do you, being a fellow slave of Christ, dare to bring your brother under your own rules and your authority? Do you dare usurp the place of Christ? And so he's saying, stand back and look at the big picture Slaves don't tell other slaves what to do. Stop looking sideways and at each other. Um, and that's, we, we should be looking up at our master, looking to Christ, 
And that's where the authority is, and that's where all the commands come from. It's not our place to be the one giving all these commands. And so I'm not sure if you've, uh, you've probably all heard that illustration of the, um, the tuning fork, where you have all the different musicians, and I'm going to show my ignorance in music here, but they, um, you know, they're trying to tune all their various instruments, and if they're looking sideways at each other, they're, they're getting it all wrong. But if you get that tuning fork, what do you do? Do you hit it? And it makes the noise, and all multiple instruments can all look to that one thing and tune to that one thing. They all become uh, in harmony and, and, and matching the same tone. And so that's what we need to be doing, and that's the sort of imbalance we can get when we're looking at each other sideways. We look to Christ. Uh, that's where our commands come from. That's where the judging of our, our, right, uh, our, our pleasingness to him is coming from, looking, looking to him. Uh, but here... Um, Paul, he's also arguing that we don't have authority to judge each other, so we all report to God. That's the office that we, we hold. And in the book of James, there's some similar teaching, and I, and I read an old translation, and it said, he who judges his brother judges the law, and that he who judges the law is not the observer of the law, but a president. And I thought, well, that makes it pretty clear. Um, so we need to be careful not to be found acting out of place um, and so who are we really when we think of it to even be judging another person? Uh, verses 6 to 9 uh, gives us another reason not to judge each other's conscience. And he says, He who observes the day observes it, and it gives the reason, for the Lord. And he who eats not does so for the same reason, for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself. That means not, not the weaker nor the stronger is trying to live for themselves, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, and you think, what is the sum of all this truth? Truth, And it says, we are the Lord's. That's who we belong to. We are his property. We were brought with a price. <laughs> um, and so now as Christians, whether weak or strong, we are both trying to determine our individual actions in light of one thing. Both people with different practices are looking to God and trying to think and ask the same question. And they're both saying, what is pleasing to you? Lord, what is pleasing to you? And as Calvin says, we, we, we design all things to his glory. We don't think in terms of uh, two separate categories. And this actually corrected my own thinking during the, the week. Uh, we don't think in two separate categories where some things matter to God. They're the important spiritual things. Those things we ask if it's okay with God. And then there's another category where, where things that don't really matter. Um, and so in that category, you can do whatever you want. So this category, serious and religious, this one, just liberties, do whatever you want. And that's, that's, not, the, that's not a good way to think. So for the Christian, both weak and strong, we are trying to bring every thought captive to Christ, not just some, not just religious ones. We bring every action before our Lord and ask, Lord, is this pleasing to you? And even the little things and seemingly insignificant things in life over here that we thought didn't really matter, um, things like eating and drinking um, or whatever you do, we do what? All things to the glory of God. <coughs> so help me understand that. Don't make two categories. Every little thing we are trying to um, do for God's glory, and we are reminded here, and this, and this, um, this reasoning that we're looking at, we're reminded here that all, both the strong and the weak, 
are desiring this. We're looking at brothers. We're talking about people who um, profess the same faith that we do, that trust in Christ the same way we do, that are justified just like we are, and we are all desiring. It might look different in the outworking, but we're all trying um, to please God in the way that we make these decisions and live and act. And so no matter what differences we have in our outward behavior, both parties are trying to bring their whole life in conformity to God's will. And we shouldn't be judging or looking down on each other's conscience. And that's key as well. These are conscience issues because the one who eats does so for the Lord and the one who does not eat also does so for the Lord. And so verse um, 10 to 12, they give us some more reasoning or another reason. And if you look at the end of verse 10, it says, For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. And so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And so another reason not to judge and to be careful with how we relate to each other is in light of giving this account uh, to God. And so we want to be very careful about uh, how we judge those that God has already accepted and how we judge those that we do not have authority to judge and how we judge both based on our own self-made laws and not God's laws. Um, and so when we stand before God in this, this, this judgment, not, not in terms of condemnation, but to give an account of our life to God, the verdict that counts at this judgment will be from God and it won't be from any one of us. And so we need to think about how we treat people in light of standing before God and giving an account. Another reason is in verse 15, and it says, For if because of food your brother is hurt. So if you've, uh, uh, someone with liberties caused someone to, um, to be hurt or um, like a bruised conscience, you are no longer walking according to love. And so looking down with contempt on weaker brothers is not loving. And forcing legalistic rules on others is not loving. And our whole disposition should be to think the best of each other. Remember, we're talking about brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ. So, so love believes all things, and especially the hidden motives and the matters of conscience that we can't see. Well, we don't know. We just assume the best. This is a brother. That's what love does. And, I, and I'll give you an illustration. If you determine um, to judge, and I want to, I'm careful here because I've heard this from different people, some in the church, and again, I'm not trying to single people out, um, but I've heard this from many people. I remember a visitor came to church once, and, and he told me, uh, this is what he thought as well, um, that if you sing in front of the church, if you stand up here on the stage, then what you, that's, that's sinful because you're just bringing glory to yourself. Have you heard that before? Um, and do and you know what? I can understand that that line of thinking, it could be true. There could be someone up there who, who thinks a lot of themselves and, and is doing it for all the wrong reasons. It's possible. But that doesn't mean that it necessarily is true. And you don't really know the mind and conscience of those people standing in front of the church, do you? You can't really judge that matter because you would have to be inside their mind, know what they're thinking, know what their attitudes and intentions are. You can't judge a conscience based on an outward action. And so you've exceeded what you're able to do when we, when we make those types of um, judgments or comments. They might be doing it... Um, 
for the wrong reasons, but they, they also might, and I think we think the best and we assume that this is the case, that they have a perfectly clear conscience that they've completely forgotten themselves. They've been going to practices all week. They're serving the church and leading us in music and song, and they're using the gifts that God's given them with a clean heart and conscience, and that's a perfectly good thing to do, just like it is for me to stand up here and be teaching. Um, So anyway, we need to be careful with that that type of um, thinking. We can't make those sorts of judgments. It's both foolish and unloving to judge the invisible conscience of another. I did, I spoke to another brother before um, the service, and I don't think you'll mind me saying this, um, but he said to me, man, there's a lot less people here um, on, on this Sunday after Impact. And he goes, I wonder why that is. And I, and I said to him, and just in a joking way, I was like, well, we can't judge their consciences, can we? You know, we don't know why. We can come up with reasons, say, oh, they're all terrible Christians. They're all whatever. We can't, we can't judge each other with that. We don't know what people's true uh, motives are. Um, so these types of issues also show which way we are inclined. They... they, they they, they, they expose our heart um, because do we lovingly think the best and lovingly hope the best or are we unlovingly inclined to always think the worst of each other? Like which way are you leaning? What's your disposition? And as Christians, we should have a disposition that thinks the best and leans and inclines towards love. Um, but the last reason I'll give you is uh, from verse 17, and it says, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so the things that matter to God are not our self-made preferences or our little rules about dress heights, um, but the things that matter are that we live our lives looking to him as our authority, looking to please him in all we do, and he is looking at our heart. He's looking at our conscience. He's looking at the things that really matter Uh, He thinks far less about our external behavior, our outward conformity, and our personal preferences. And so the kingdom of God is is operating at a whole different level than what what we might be doing as we um, police each other and and, uh, make judgments on on each other's motives. Um, But the last last point I want to consider is um, what I've called the governing principles. And I said at the beginning, we want to get to the point where we can actually see what are the, what are the root principles that will um, help us understand and navigate um, all the different situations that come up. Is there, is there some tools we can have to, to, um, to help us with, with all, all different types of things? And we have that in this 14th chapter as well. Um, so if you look at the end of verse 5, uh, it says, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. Uh, and Calvin, who's obviously been a help to me this week, he says, here then the apostle applies the best rule, that we do nothing except uh, what they think or rather feel assured is pleasing to God. And this ought to be thoroughly borne in mind, that it is the first principle of a right, con- of a right conduct, that men should be dependent on the will of God and never allow themselves to move even a finger while the mind is doubtful and vacillating. And so it's such a beautiful thing because we live a positive life to the glory of God. Every action we do is we think, God, is this pleasing to you? Every, every action we do, we do it confidently knowing, yeah, this is pleasing to God, I'll do it. But if I'm doubtful, 
if I know that it's wrong, then, then I don't do it because it's, it's sinful to God. So we live a positive life to the glory of God by asking what is pleasing to him and not how much can I get away with. And I think that's like a paradigm shift that we need to deal with. We're not living the life as Christian, looking for the gray areas, looking to get around the word of God. The Christian is inclined the other way and thinks with a whole different mindset. Every action I do, my whole life is aimed to the glory of God. Lord, is this pleasing to you? Yes, it is. And you confidently walk in actions that you know are pleasing to God. And so you live with a cleaner conscience. Um, In uh, verse 14, there's another, another thing, another principle, I guess, that we need to notice. Um, there's so many exceptions and tricky little things about this teaching. I'm sure you'll have questions afterwards. But another thing I just want you to pick up as well, as Paul says in verse 14, I know, there's no doubt there, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing in itself is unclean. And so we had two people. One thought it was clean, one thought it was unclean, and Paul says, I actually know the answer. Um, and so this helps us to address a tension, which is a tension between that of accepting the weaker brother on the one hand. We're commanded, obviously, to do that. We have to accept the weaker brother, um, and then of gently informing their conscience on the other. Um, so both need to be done. And so if, imagine it, if we were to merely accept each other's difference, but differences of behavior, just accept them, just accept them, they do that, just accept them, and never think any more about it, then there would be no discernible standard of truth undergirding our faith, and everyone could just do what's right in their own eyes, and would be just led by the um, lowest common denominator of the most legalistic person in the church, and everyone would be dragged down to that standard. But Paul here says, I know and am convinced. Um, that nothing is unclean in itself. So there is an answer, and he is teaching them an answer. So while we do accept each other and are patient with each other, because we patiently want to see people grow in the Lord, Paul is actually informing the conscience of the weaker believers in Rome at the same time as he's writing this. Um, and he states plainly that the stronger brother was correct. He knew he was convinced. If you look at verse 20, he says in another way, all things indeed are clean. He does make these statements that are grounded in uh, a mature understanding of the Christian faith. So he wants people to accept each other, but he, he, he also isn't shrinking back from trying to encourage and rightly inform the conscience of weaker brothers at the same time. And that's important for us to know. And so when we consider um, the role even of elders and church leadership, it's never to be done in a way that forces anyone to obey our will or our particular preferences. But Christ's method in his church is for the word of God to be held forth and taught as faithfully and skillfully as possible. And when you've seen, when everybody has seen and trusted these things for themselves and have been convinced in your own minds, then everybody acts out of their own accord when you're ready and comfortable, when your conscience is informed and constrained by the word of God alone. So it's the word of God alone um, and Christ that is leading his church through his word. And as we all come to see that, um, we're all slowly being conformed to the same image. But um, the main structural principle, perhaps the last and, and the, the biggest principle, you can see if you turn to verse 22 and 23. Um, and I'll just read part of it, but I think it gets to the heart of the, the last two verses there. It says, Happy is he who does not condemn himself 
and what he approves. And so here he lays down a general truth which extends to all actions. And, and the word happy is the word blessed. Blessed is he. Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. So his conscience, everything he does, he knows that it's pleasing to God. And there's a certain true, deep, rich blessing that Christians enjoy when we live in that way. And I do, I really want to talk more about the conscience and how powerfully it affects our lives um, with matters like depression and, and all sorts of different things. There is a certain heaviness about our conscience. There is no deep joy and peace until we really don't have that nagging conscience that's eating away at us. It's a very powerful thing in terms of just the constitution of who we are as people. But, um, but when we examine our deeds, so this person who's blessed is the person that when they examine their deeds is not bitten by an accusing conscience. And so Calvin says again, and he says, and oh, that this truth were fixed in the minds of men, that nothing ought to be attempted except what the mind feels assured is acceptable to God. And so that's that, that beauty of living a life, not looking for how much we can get away with, but the, we, we're focused the other way, what is pleasing to God, and we can confidently walk and act and live our lives um, without an accusing conscience. And ultimately, um, we need to remember as well that, that we're talking at a certain level of sanctification, but we need to keep grounded in the gospel and knowing that our clean conscience was really um, given to us by Christ and his uh, work of propitiation, which means his, um, his absorbing all the wrath and anger of God, all the, all the enmity and, and, and uh, all those things was, was propitiated in Christ. And so we are clean because Christ is clean. And we're accepted because Christ is accepted. Uh, and so everything is, um, comes grounded in the gospel. And if we move away from that, we look at each other differently. And we really do. We, I think we... We often treat ourselves as justified by faith and other people maybe as justified by works. And uh, we need to have a gospel lens where we look at each other through the gospel as brothers and sisters and we are all justified by faith. We're all completely perfect in God's sight because of what Christ done for us. But I think we're um, at the end there and I will bow our heads and pray. So, Excuse me, Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you for this, um, for your word. We thank you for this 14th chapter. Lord, we're not immune from uh, different ways of thinking, Lord, and, and different things that cause us to stumble and trip over each other. Lord, would you, I just pray you'd um, build your church and strengthen us, help us to relate to each other in a way that uh, honors you. Lord, would you um, bless your word in proportion to the truth that was taught? And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.